you for listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. That was great. Thank you for coming up and helping us put a face with a backpack, if you know what I mean. All right. Let's take a minute and pray. And when I pray, I want, I want to ask you to do something that I ask you to do every Sunday morning, but it's, it's a real thing, just in case you think coming to church and leaving is just kind of something that you do. Open your heart to God's Word. It's a real thing. Some, many people, uh, how does this, the, I think Job says, uh, many people drink the rain and they turn and thank the clouds, right? So you can, you can hear it without receiving it. You can, you can listen without absorbing it. So um, let's just do a physical act of prayer, but I want to ask you to do a spiritual act of opening your heart this morning. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for <clears throat> your goodness. We thank you for these young people, God in Elkhart and uh, other places, Lord, in Chicago. God, that you're raising up to do great things in this world. God, we bless them in the name of Jesus. goes beyond those backpacks, God. We want to see their success. We want to benefit from their thriving. God, we want to see you glorified in all things. God, this morning as we open your word, we pray that, God, you would open our hearts. You would open our minds. There are so many things that go on in our lives all day, every day, God, that we absorb so much of the world and its system. God, this morning, we want to set aside the world and its system, and we want to absorb heaven and your love. We want to absorb the kingdom and your ways, O oh God. And so, Lord, we pray that, Lord, through the foolishness of preaching, we would be saved, we would be delivered, we'd be transformed. And so, God, do a good work in us. God, even as we reach our hands to you, God, scoop us up and help us. We pray this in your name. Amen. <clears throat> I want to thank Andy for a great job in First Peter last week where we just talked about um, the right response to God's work in our life, right? God's the right response to it. Uh, today I want to further that discussion. We're going to go from First Peter. We're in chapter 2 now. And I want to ask this question, how do we live as the new people of God, right? So... <clears throat> Peter's talking to folks that weren't always in relationship to Jesus. They didn't always follow the Lord. And so they had come into a new faith, and they had become the new, the people of God, the family of God. And for some of them, it meant radical changes. I mean, they really, really changed their lives. I mean, Peter goes so far as to say they're called out of darkness into God's wonderful light. I mean, it was a big, big change. How many people changed when they started following the Lord? Yeah, I did. Well, that change is going on in their lives, and they're being noticed, and not everyone is enjoying what they're seeing because as they begin to change, it begins to disrupt some social things. They're not going out drinking as much with their friends. They're not worshiping at these other idols their whole, even their business tactics are changing. They're doing business 
making money in a way that honors the Lord and does good to others instead of just getting as much as they can get. And it's causing a lot of ripples. And so they're, they're being affected by people's negative response to their new faith. And they're just like freaking out a bit, like, what do we do? And so Peter goes on to talk about how do we live as the new people of God in a world that's not responding positively to the changes in their life. I mean, one of the things that Peter is dealing with, excuse me, is he doesn't want people to fall back and just kind of go back into their worldly system. He doesn't want people to kind of lukewarm or, or just kind of compromise their faith and kind of go back and just pretend it's not there. Or maybe in our world we'd say just be a hypocrite. Kind of act one way with certain people and then act another way with certain other people and then dress it all up for church on Sunday. Hypocrisy. That's what that is. That's just acting. It's faking. Posing one way for some people, posing another way for other people, all for the benefit of your own popularity and prestige and to avoid people's negative comments about what it means to follow Jesus. And so Peter is just talking to these folks. He doesn't want them to lose their faith. He doesn't want them to compromise their faith, but he wants them to walk firmly and strong in their faith. And so 1 Peter chapter 2, <clears throat> he starts in. I'm going to read bits of the chapter, and I'm going to preach a little bit on it, and then I'm going to read, I'm not going to read the whole thing at once. So um, turn your Bibles to 1 Peter 2. We'll start at verse 1. All right, it says this. Therefore, Andy taught us last week, when there's a therefore, you have to ask, what's it? <clears throat> therefore, rid yourselves. One translation says, abandon Every form, all forms of malice and deceit, hypocrisy and envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, craves pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. In, in chapter 2, Peter is going to make an analogy about <clears throat> building a spiritual house. And so I'm going to pick up on Peter's lead and talk about building a spiritual house. And so <clears throat> that's what God is doing in you, you know. <clears throat> You're not just saved to kind of skim through life, but he wants to build something in you, a spiritual house that is established, it's strong, it's significant. Jesus talked about building your house upon the stone, the rock, so that when the wind and the waves crash on you, you don't collapse, but rather you stand strong. If you build your house on the rock that is Jesus and his teachings, then you stand. But if you build your house on the sand or on kind of the way the world and other people's think, or maybe just you think best, when the wind and the waves come, the house crashes down, falls flat. And so there's a building going on in your Christian life. God is wanting to build a spiritual house, a good spiritual house. And here, this first step, what he says is, he says, hey, abandon every form of evil. You need to abandon some things in your life if you're going to follow the Lord. You need to abandon things because they, they, you can't build your house on them. 
So in some ways, you just need to kind of clear, clear the, the earth, clear the dirt, create a space for a good foundation. And what Peter says, it's about your desires or your cravings, right? So crave pure spiritual milk. And so if you want to build a foundation on which God can build a house, he wants to build that at the desire level. Thank you. What are the desires of your heart? What are your appetites? What are your cravings? I was thinking of putting a um, White Castle picture up on there. Because <laughs> I know it's what you crave. Now, I just want you to think about this a minute. Because um, in ancient, in the first century, there's the, the Greek goddess, goddess Artemis, Right? And you put the picture of her up there. This is going to get a little awkward, just so you know. Just a little bit awkward. This is the many-breasted statue of the goddess Artemis. Yeah. So, right? Is it a lot awkward? So Peter is saying, crave pure spiritual milk. Spiritual milk, it's, it's, it uses the word logos, which is often used for the word of God. And so crave the word, crave word milk, the scriptures, crave God's milk. And he's contrasting it with the many-breasted statue awkwardly everywhere in the first century of the goddess Artemis. You cannot nourish yourself from false idols of stone. People try to nourish themselves off things that don't give them any nourishment. In the first century, it was Artemis. Take her down because she's just awkward. And so Peter is saying, look, Crave pure spiritual milk, not the empty stone breasts of a false idol. Because people were worshiping her. People were sacrificing her. And it was the very thing that these new Christians needed to walk away from to rid themselves of this idolatry. And it was causing social pushback. People were angry with them that they were not worshiping these gods. And Peter is saying, look, you can't do that. You need to clear the ground. You need to clear the space in your life. You need to set your desires, not on that which cannot nourish you, but rather on that which is profoundly nourishing, which is the word of God, which is Jesus himself. And I think you have to ask yourself, what is it in my life? What are things that, that I, on a foundational level of my heart, my desires and my cravings that I cannot build my spiritual house on. I cannot build my spiritual walk on certain desires. I mean, you look at just some of the basic human desires in life, right? Food, I'll just go food and sex, right? If you let any of those desires run amok, what's gonna happen to your life? Yeah, you're going to be like an 800-pound dude sitting in the corner with no friends watching porn. That's what you're going to be. It's going to be really sad. Because those desires will not check themselves. Those passions, those cravings, they're not made to control themselves. They're made to just be desires. And for someone who's going to build a spiritual house, a healthy, strong spiritual house... You have to not let those cravings and those desires run your life. I mean, it's just a basic thing. You don't, like for instance, you don't have to eat every time you're hungry. 
If you're hungry, it's okay. Next time you're hungry and say, you know, you're a little bit overweight, just say, hey, it just proves I'm alive. It doesn't mean I have to eat. Hunger is a natural desire that God has given us so that we don't forget to eat when we need to. It's not meant to be a desire that's craved at every whim so that we become 800-pound people. You are bigger than your desires. The purpose of God is greater than your appetites. And you, you, the spiritual you, the born-again you, the Christ-following you, has the ability to set healthy cravings in your life. You don't have to give in to every craving you have, even if it's White Castle. Because there are so many cravings and desires that will not, they will, they will not allow, they will prevent you from building a strong, healthy spiritual house. Here's a couple of pictures. Here's a picture of a couple of houses that they didn't really get rid of the, they didn't set the right earth for their foundation and they sank. Could you imagine if you came home one day and that was your house on the left? Like, oh no, my house has sunk. Yeah, but it's not a new or recent problem. This has been going on for years. Check out this one. Yeah, yeah. You know what they did? It was like the 1100s, 1130 something. <clears throat> they were like, hey, let's build a tower. Let's make it very, very beautiful. But they made the mistake. They only built like a, a, <clears throat> a 10 foot deep foundation. And they built it on kind of soft, unstable soil. And so they got the foundation stones laid and like, okay, that's good. And they built the first level. And they're like, hey, not too bad. They built a second level and it started to sink. And like, oh no. So what they did, they did like any good construction person would. They just left it there for about 100 years. They took a good century to think about it. And then they continued building. And the higher they got, the more it started to lean. It started leaning, it was like three degrees. And then by the time, like 200 years later, they'd built the first the whole thing and it leaned up like five and a half degrees. That's a lot of lean for a building that that's tall. In modern, they kind of, modern times, they tried to bolster up and they, they pushed it back a little bit. It's back to like a 3% lean. Now it's famous and it's beautiful. And white. We all know the leaning tower of Pisa. But the reason that house is falling is because it was not cleared out on solid ground. Jesus talked about the soil of the seeds that were sown. Good soil or bad soil. <clears throat> the first thing that Peter says to us is, look, you need to understand that you need to make sure your desires and your cravings are well suited to lay a foundation to build the house. That's why Jesus sums up the whole law and the prophets and everything. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You make God your desire. You say, Lord, I want you more than anything else. He says, that fulfills the whole thing. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why is love your neighbor as yourself important? Because not only are you loving God, you're loving who God loves. Right? You make that your desire. And in our world, so many other cravings, so many other things try to come in and usurp that. 
Let's take a minute. I want to give you a minute. Just to let that soak in. You might say, no, it's not me. I would never let other, my other desires or my cravings come before me and my purpose in life or my relationship with God. I'm sure that's what Esau thought. Do you remember Esau? Esau, was, uh, Esau and Jacob, they were twins. He got, he got tricked out of his birthright. You know how? Esau went hunting, and he was out for days, and he came back. He was very, very, very hungry. His hunger, his desire for food was overtaking him. He was so hungry. And so when he came back, his brother, Jacob, the deceiver, says, oh, hey, I just happened to whip up some soup. He's like, oh, give me some soup. I desire soup. And uh, Jacob was like, yeah, I'll sell it to you. He's like, anything, I'll give you anything. I'm so hungry. He's like, yeah, I'll take your birthright. I'll take your whole, everything you've got coming to you in life. Every inheritance, every sense of honor, every sense of purpose and debt. You give me that, and I'll give you a bowl of soup. And the fool did it. The writer of Hebrews says this. Don't be sexually immoral like Esau, who gave it all away for a bowl of soup. Esau wasn't an idiot. He was a big, formidable, incredible man. He let his desires, his appetite, ruin his life. Father God, we just come before you with our hearts open, and we lay before you our appetites, our desires. God, would you make our desires pure? Would you help us, God, not to become slaves to our appetites and our cravings and our desires, but that our desires would serve us and that we would crave pure spiritual milk. We would crave the things that honor you. We would crave the things that help others. We would crave the things, oh God, that, that bring you glory and not the things that will ultimately destroy our lives. Help us not, God, to turn to idols that don't nourish Help us, oh God, not to give in to those deep hungers, but help us to crave you and desire more of you. Help us, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to just tell you the next phase is, is this, that you would build your house on the rock, which is Jesus. So we're going to turn and we're going to pick up in verse 4, 1 Peter 2, 4. It says this, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For the scripture says, going to have three Old Testament quotes right now to make his point. The scripture says, see I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. 
And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. It's Isaiah 28. Now to you who believe, Peter says, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, second quote from Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And, third quote, Isaiah 8. A stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. The first point I made today was you have to clear a space, and you clear a space in your area of desires, cravings. It's a crave that which is good. The second is you have to build on a foundation that will be solid and stable. And here in 1 Peter 2, it talks about Jesus being the cornerstone. Other places as well. But it says over and over again, he's the stone, he's the cornerstone. And it says two things about Jesus, the cornerstone. It says, number one, that if you believe, if you believe, you will not be put to shame and you will be honored because the cornerstone is precious. But it also says that if you don't believe, this cornerstone will cause you to stumble and fall. And so there are two very distinct reactions and multiple reactions to what, responding to Jesus. The first one is, if Jesus is precious to you, he will be your source of honor and he will remove the shame from your life. But if Jesus is not precious to you and you reject him and you turn away, Jesus will be the cause of your stumbling and of your falling. I mean, Peter just makes it very clear. Now understand, Peter is talking to people who are having a hard time living out their faith in a world that doesn't really want them to live out their faith. And so Peter is saying, look, to those who are rejecting Jesus, of course, Jesus is going to be a stumbling block for them. They're not going to like it. They're not going to follow him. And ultimately, that's between them and Jesus, not you. But for you who are believing, Jesus is the one who will remove your shame, social shame, internal shame, eternal shame and he will honor you and so you need to make a very clear decision because there is no halfway point it's not like you can kind of fall or you can kind of be honored no you need to say I believe and I'm going to follow him and he'll take care of you or be one of those who says I'm going to reject him and then you're stumbling and you're falling is on you and between you and God. And so Peter is saying to them, look, there is no middle ground. There is a clarity that comes from knowing where you stand with God. And don't pretend to be in the middle. Because that was their temptation. I'm just going to fit in, but I'm still going to secretly go to church meetings, but I'm not going to let that be widely known. And for Peter, this is very personal. 
Because if you look at the language, maybe you'll remember some of the interactions that Peter had with Jesus. Do you remember, it was in Matthew 16, where Jesus says to Peter, Peter, you are, your name is Peter, which means rock. And on you, Peter, I will build my church. So Peter gets renamed by Jesus. His name was Simon, right? They call him Simon Peter. And here Peter's writing about the stones and the rock and the cornerstones. This is very personal to Peter. Peter made a very personal engagement with Jesus. He said, yes, Jesus, my name is Peter. I am associated with you. I am named after you. Peter, or Jesus, you're the living stone. And I want to be with you a living stone. See, Peter was very personal. He's all in. I wonder when you think about it, what name has God given you? What name has God given you? Well, your mama gave you a name. And your junior high basketball coach gave you a name. At once, a coach named me Prince or Prancer the Belly Dancer. <clears throat> Called me that for a whole season. I'm like, what's up, coach? Why would you do that? So you've been named by people, maybe even named yourself, right? We do some harsh names for ourselves. Loser, poser, shameful. What name has God given you? When I read this, I was thinking of Peter. His name was Simon. Jesus called him Peter. Peter, you're the rock. You know, seven times in Jesus' teaching, he brings forth the Old Testament, those three verses that, that were read here in 1 Peter 2, describing himself as the rock, him as a stone, right? So Jesus is aligning himself and associating himself with a long Old Testament tradition of the stone and the rock. And he meets Peter and he says, Peter, you're the rock. Your name is Petra. So these are very personal for Peter. He starts talking about Jesus, the living stone, and how he himself is a living stone with Christ. Peter knew who he was. He, he knew his name. What's your name? What, would, what has God called you? Maybe you've had people in your life that says you'll never add up or you'll never make it. You're not college material. You'll never make the police force. You're not good enough for her. You're not good enough for him. Maybe you've had a lot of people speak over you that you'll be just swamped in mediocrity for the rest of your life. Or worse, you're a failure. You're the worst thing that ever happened to me. I mean, if you stop and start thinking about some of the names that people have put on you, some of the names, the internal names that you've put on yourself, I used to put on myself, uh, I'm the middle child of divorced parents that meant something to me, that defined me. 
was my job to always make sure things, something, everything was okay, you know. That was my job. That was my role. It's amazing these little names we give ourselves. Unhelpfully. But God gives you a name. God gives you a name. A new name. And it starts with son or daughter, which to God is a big deal. It's not a bad thing. It's not a, in any way negative thing or an obligation thing. Son and daughter to God our Father is the most affectionate, loving, caring, embracing name we could have. Dan, are you still calling yourself Daniel? Why are you calling yourself Daniel now? Right. And Daniel was one of the most courageous men the Bible ever spoke of. Stood in the face of kings and lions and all the rest. It's important that you know who God calls you. Beloved son or daughter. Even names like warrior. Gideon was the mighty warrior. God constantly renames people. You're not the least of the least, Gideon. You're a mighty warrior. Simon, you're not just some loud-mouthed, crazy Jew. You're Peter, on whom I'll build my church. You're not just some shepherd boy, David, forgotten in the fields. You're the beloved of God. You have to think about who you give permission to name you. And there are some names in your life you need to reject. I am no longer Prince or Prancer, the belly dancer. <laughs> and I would like to say I never was. But there are some names you need to reject. And there are names you need to take on. Someday we'll do a sermon series on how God renames us. It's time for me to wrap things up. <clears throat> so much more here to say. I want to end with this idea. Building the house. Building the house, your spiritual house. You know, in this litany of quotes and things, <clears throat> Peter strings together just these unbelievable, I mean, wonderfully believable threads of commonality that we have with Jesus because we believe. 
unbelievable, wonderful commonalities like this. He says, Christ is the living stone, verse two, or verse four. And he says that believers also are living stones built with him. The close relationship and the close association between Christ and between believers is remarkable. He calls believers a spiritual house in verse five and that Christ in verse six is the chief cornerstone of that house. He tells believers that they'll never be put to shame. You, he says, will never, shame is not your identity. It's not who you are. And in verse seven, he says, it's the cornerstone himself that brings honor to the believers. That beautiful relationship between Jesus and his followers is for all of us. That we would be co-workers, as it said, with Christ. That there would be such a cooperation, a togetherness with Jesus that our load would never seem burdensome and we'd never be alone. You know, some people believe that if they want to follow Christ, they just got to, well, work real hard, work, 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 got to make it happen, got to make it happen, so that somehow I could like present this perfect finished product to Jesus. It's not like that. Those of you who are parents or any of you who have been children, you know the role between parent and child. It's a togetherness thing. I mean, even in the simplest functions, like when you're teaching a child to walk, right? The parent has the child, but they're kind of dragging the feet along, right? Come on, move, lift, 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 right? The parent is not wanting to actually grab the feet also. The parent is there to stabilize and protect and to strengthen, to give their strength to the child, but their desire is that the child would learn to walk. The simplest of forms. And as they grow and as they learn how to love and forgive, as the child learns how to get along with their brothers and sisters and the crazy world beyond them, the parent stands ready to encourage and to strengthen and to bind up. The child should never have to do that alone. That is the great privilege of family, of parenthood, and the great joy of a child to know that my parents are for me and yet I'm here to to learn how to do it myself so that I can one day help the next generation. There is this incredible togetherness cooperation that we see between Jesus and his people. And Jesus wants that for you today. That you would say, I want, Lord, to invite you into my life. I want to cooperate. I want us to work together on building my spiritual house, my spiritual life. And so if I ask you the question, what are you and the Lord working on together in your house? What would you say? Some of you know I, I painted my house this year. It took me a little while. I got by with a couple of help from my friends. Right? Harold and Bob, these guys were faithful friends. My dad painted a wall. Joyce, thank you. And... Bob would just constantly text me, when are we going to finish the house? 
Those are texts I did not always respond to right away. But he was committed to cooperating for the completion of a project. Jesus does that to you. He's texting. He's knocking. He's pursuing you. When are we going to finish that little issue? You deal with that desire, that craving. Will you come to terms with your purpose and your meaning? Will you deal with forgiving or you deal with the sacrificial life that I've called you to? What are you and the Lord working on together? Think about it. Type it into your phone. If you don't know what it is that he's, he's doing, maybe you just need to type the question into your phone a minute. Lord, what are we supposed to be working on now? Do you ever have that? I never have that because my wife is always faithful to provide me with a list. I always have a list. I know sometimes like, what am I supposed to do today? Oh, thank you. And tomorrow and the next day. But sometimes we just get lost in it. I'll read you the last bit. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood and a holy nation, God's special possession. There are names in there that you may want to adopt. So you know who you are. You know who God says you are. That you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you did not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. So Peter finishes this little section with two things. It has to do with your identity and your purpose. You are a child. You're a chosen people. You know, this was pretty radical because prior to this, it was always genetic, right? It had to do with human descendants, genetic descent that were the people of God. If you had to be Jewish. We had to proselyte into the Jewish nation. Those were the children of God. But Peter is saying that's no longer the case. He's up overturning that old belief. And he's saying, no, now it's anyone who's in Christ. You have the DNA of heaven. You're a child of the king. You're royal. A royal priesthood. You represent the king. You're royalty. I love the idea of priest. Priest is the connector, right? In the Catholic Church, the priest connects God to people. But the priest is a common thing, the connector. But he says it of the people of God. He says, look, you have one foot in heaven and you have one foot in earth. Live your life as the royal people of both places. Don't leave earth anytime sooner than God calls you, but don't forget about heaven. Live your life as citizens of heaven. He says that you're a holy nation set apart for him, special. And all this for your purpose, to declare praises. To declare praises. Let me ask this. 
How frequently do you speak of the wonderfulness of God's salvation? Declare the praises of his wonderful light. You've been called out of darkness into his wonderful light, into his family. Your purpose is to speak those things. Speak of how wonderful the salvation God has given you. You've received mercy. Speak of being in God's family. Make that part of your vocabulary. Speak it. Say it to people. Declare it. Not just in our songs, but in your conversations, in your own heart. Declare it. Declare it. Declare it. Speak. Again, remember when the kids were little and they'd want to just try to tell you something? And what would you say to them? Use your words. Children of God, use your words. Speak it. Declare it. All right. We're going to take communion. Andy, will you lead us in communion? All right. If I could have the ushers come forward and the worship team up. While they come, let's bless the Lord for his word. Lord, thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for a timely word to us, how to live in this world. God, that you would be Lord of our cravings, that you would be our true foundation in life, not to sink like those houses. God, that you would work together with us, that we would cooperate with you to build the house of our life, that we might know who we are and that we might know what we're to do. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Amen.